So we are here. Um, let's just get right into what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 1 through 4. Take a look at it. Do good to please God. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. For assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let's pray. Father... We thank you so much, Lord, that you care so much about us, that you have instruction for us on how to live. We thank you, God, that your kingdom is being built, Lord, right now by you, by your disciples. You're using us, Lord, to, to bring your kingdom, and we're so excited for that, Lord. Lord, we ask that we would take note of these simple ways, Lord, that you instruct us to alter the way that we live, and importantly today, Lord, thank you for this message about it all being about you, not about ourselves, not about our pride, Lord. It is all about you. I pray you'd help that to be the focus today. Help us to focus on you and your word and what you would say to us individually. We love you, Lord, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. So starting off talking about one of the most important things that happened last year, Guardians of the Galaxy. Did anybody see it? Yes. Was it not like it made me feel like that special feeling like that when I was a kid and I watched Star Wars. It was like it was like a 30% of like that feeling, but still it was like it was there and it was this glorious space opera. Um, Star-Lord played by um, the guy who does Andy on Parks and Rec. Um, Chris Pratt, really funny guy. Um, he has this scene where he saves the girl and he has this moment of heroism, and, and the girl looks at him, the green-skinned girl. What's her name? Does anyone know? Amora, Gamora, Sodom, Go what? What? I don't know. I don't know what her name is, but um, this green alien lady, he saves her, and she's looking at him, and she's like, like, how did you do that? And he gives this quote, which is awesome. He's like, I found something inside myself, incredibly heroic, not to brag. And she like smacks him for being a jerk and for being bragging. But I think what he's doing there is he's showing something that's really common, which is a need to be loved and a need to be accepted and a need to be seen as awesome, which I think is something that we all have. Like if, if you admit it to yourself, I mean, there's something in you where you're like, I just want people to notice all the hard work that I'm doing all the time. Like I just want a little respect, a little recognition. Like I just want people to be able to look at me and say like, man, they're cool. They're awesome. And, and sometimes what we do is motivated by how we want people to see us. Now, right off the bat, I just want to say what these verses are not about. These, these verses are not about you freaking out about losing your reward. There's this weird like thing in the Christian culture that I think is hilarious where like, you know, someone will be like, like, hey man, like what have you been doing? And, and you'll, you know, you'll say like, oh, it was really cool. You know, I went down to this uh, homeless outreach ministry and we were helping the homeless. And the guy's like, oh, 
That's really a bad thing for you. You told me that. Why? Well, you just lost your reward. Like, have you ever heard that before? Have your parents ever said that? Like, when you said something that you did that was like a good, positive thing, and it's like, well, now everyone knows. Like, now you've lost your reward in heaven. I really don't think Jesus wants to be constantly, like, having us freak out about it, like, to the point where someone asks you, like, hey, what did you do today? And maybe you were volunteering somewhere, and you're like, oh, I can't tell you. Like, I, I can't speak of it because I'll lose my reward. Like, that's not what Jesus is going for here. Remember, Jesus' plan of attack for the kingdom, he's, he's come to the earth, and the kingdom of heaven is, yes, in heaven, but Jesus wants us to start building his kingdom now. So he's saying, hey, I'm going to rewire, or re- rewire. I, I tried to say rewire and rewrite, and I was like, rewrite? Um, he's going to help you rewire and rewrite your entire way of thinking. And so he's attacking here, not the outward appearance. He's attacking our heart. He's going after what is in our heart. And what Jesus is teaching is it's, it's a paradox. He's saying you are to do actions publicly. Jesus is not calling all Christians. He's not saying, hey, Christians, everything you do that's good, make sure it's done in secret. Make sure no other Christians see you. Make sure you're constantly sneaking around and nobody knows that you did anything good. That's not what he's saying. But he's, he's saying, yes, actions will be done publicly, but they shouldn't be done for publicity. And what I mean by that is action shouldn't be done to get recognition. That's what Jesus is trying to say. He's really trying to get to the heart behind the actions. Is our intention in doing good deeds to be faithful to God or to receive admiration from others? Are we giving out a response to God's blessing or a response to the recognition of those around us? Are we following God because it's right or because we want to be seen doing what's right. So that's really the heart and the meat of what Jesus is saying. We're going to look at five things this morning. The first one is the reminder to check our heart. So look at verse one again. Verse one says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father in heaven. So The key in that verse is, look at the wording. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. You could stop there. Like, you could stop there and go, oh, what he's saying is don't do anything in front of other people. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think it's clear if you read the whole verse. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. What he's talking about is a motive. He's saying, what is your motive? Is, are the things that you're doing, when you do something good, when you bless somebody, when you help somebody, when you say a kind word, when you volunteer, yes, I can do that. Is it because you're looking around to see like, well, I hope that cute boy notices me. Or man, I, I hope the teacher, like that's, that probably sounded weird coming from a guy. I was talking from a girl's perspective, um, not a dude saying, I hope another dude would notice me. But a teacher, are you doing it because you want to be the teacher's pet? You want the teacher to give you recognition. You want to get the gold star. Are you doing it because you want to seem holy? Like you want people to know, you're like, man, I just have so much goodness on the inside of me. I'm just full of so much good. If only other people could see how good I am. And then like a volunteer opportunity comes up and you're like, yes, opportunity for me to show my goodness. 
Sometimes that is what it can be. Like, case in point, myself. When I was a junior high counselor, um, I mean, I, I seriously, I got into ministry for the wrong reasons. Uh, I got hired to do a video up at a camp. Uh, it wasn't because I liked junior high kids. It was because I got paid money by Trevor O'Keefe. And then when I was up there, God started to speak to me like, hey, you should like be, sac- you could, you should be self-sacrificial. You should help out in ministry. And, uh, and I started to do it. But I really like had like my motives were like, oh, like I'm, I'm lame. <laughs> and junior high kids laugh at everything I do. So this gives me like some fulfillment. Like when I first first started as a counselor, 16 years old, I really just liked the environment. People were friendly. The kids were goofy. You know, they tended to like me better than the high school kids I hung out with. So there was something fulfilling in it for me. And, and then what happened was as I got asked to do teachings, um, you know, Trevor and Oli would have me come up and teach once in a while. But instead of going up and teaching as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old guy, um, my motives in teaching, it wasn't like, Lord, I, I know you've got something to say. I just want you to bless people with it. But my motives a lot of times were like, oh, well, I hope Trevor and Oli, and I, I hope they think I'm a good teacher. Like, I hope they like me. I hope, like, that I'm coming across in a way that's cool and funny, and, like, I hope I'm doing okay. Like, and, and a lot of times my motive back then was I wanted to please men, and I wanted people to approve of me. And maybe you struggle with that, too. Maybe there's something in you where no matter what you're doing, whether it's at home or at school or in sports, there's this constant need for affirmation affirmation and approval. I think we can even see this when we do ministry. I think when we do ministry, our hearts and motives can be wrong at times. Uh, I want to tell you guys, I want to read actually word for word a story from a lady named Shaniqua. Now, I don't know which lady in this picture is Shaniqua, um, but it is one of these ladies. Uh, But she didn't like, so it literally could be any one of them. But um, this is what Shaniqua wrote. She said, every time I go on a missions trip, I learn a little bit about myself and so much more about Christ. This time would be no different. I'm still reflecting on my trip to Haiti, and God is still revealing things to me about the trip. Yet one of the first lessons I learned was one I thought I already knew, how to serve with humility. Our first day as a team running our medical clinic, we failed. Not to the people we were serving, but from the outside looking in, it was a success, but we knew we failed as a team. I can't speak for my other members of the team, but I can speak for myself. We did not operate as a cohesive unit. During our debrief that night, I realized that we were Americans giving, and I prayed to God that we would become Christians serving because there is a difference and that prayer changed not only my heart but it changed the missions trip for me as I struggled and prayed God began to open my eyes and heart to a people so that I would serve them instead of looking for ways to give to them and change their life in my own hand I could not change or transform anything but when I when all of us allowed ourselves to become tools and instruments of service the entire trip changed how we served and ministered to others changed and when you constantly go on mission strips, you can easily get caught in the emotional high of ministry, but you can also become focused on doing and giving instead of serving. Coming from a culture of excess into a culture of little, you sometimes adapt the attitude that you are coming to rescue people from their horrible, horrible lives. However, it is thoughts like this which focus on your own self-interest and not the interest of God. This mission strip was not about experiencing a feel-good moment and feeling a sense of purpose. This mission was about serving however he desired and in whatever manner. We intended to go to Haiti for one reason and one reason only, to serve and to do for the least of these, and we did. 
When you look at the life of Christ, one of the main themes is service. Christ was always serving others. He healed, he taught, he served, he sacrificed, he washed the feet of his disciples, and he was teaching about serving others and remaining humble, even if you know you have more. We should all strive in daily, daily striving to follow his example. You don't have to travel across the world to serve others, and sometimes you don't even have to look beyond your family and friends, but in whatever way God has called you to serve, serve. Just remember to always serve for his glory and never your own, because we need to be used by him. We are his tools, and we are here to serve him. That's, that's a great word from Shaniqua. I thought that was awesome. When we serve is, is our motives. Is our motives going into like, let's say a missions trip or any service opportunity? Is it like, I have the ability to change somebody's life. Like I can, I can go and I can make a difference. Is that what we're thinking? Is it emotional high? I'm gonna go to some foreign country because I wanna experience an exotic location and meet people and like there's gonna be this spiritual high. That happens all the time. Even for me at camps, I can go to a camp and I just, I, I have this like, spiritual high from serving in ministry, and sometimes I can get addicted to those feel-good moments or that sense of purpose. Sometimes serving God can give us this sense of purpose, and we can serve God because we feel that sense of purpose, and that's what's driving us, and a lot of times it can be recognition. Like I said, it was for me. I was serving in youth ministry, and some of my motives were good, and my heart was learning, but at the time, a lot of it, I was really looking to see, you know, do people think I'm cool? Do people accept me? Because I had had this need for recognition and acceptance that I think maybe some of you guys might struggle with too. The only difference, like think about this, the only difference between a bribe and a gift is the intentions behind the gift. If somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, or not even if they come up to you, like if someone knows you're in need and they put some money in an envelope and they, they like say to someone like, hey, like, they're, they're struggling. Like, I'd love to give them some, something to help. Like, I want to do it anonymously. Can you go give them this envelope and, like, tell them, like, hey, someone just wanted to bless you? And then someone gets that money, and they're like, oh, my gosh, who gave this to me? It's not important. Like, they want it to be anonymous. Just be blessed. That's so cool. But then imagine, like, on the other side of things, you know, when, when someone knows that, like, someone needs money, and they come over, and they pull out, like, just this fat stack of cash, and they're flipping through it, and they're like, how much you need? Like, oh, man, I'm going to bail you out. Like, I'm going to help you out, because, man, you need me. Here you go. And then they give the money. I mean, that's, that's more like a bribe than it is a gift. It's someone basically saying, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you, but I'm going to expect some help from you in return later. We, we need to give with the right motives, not the motives of being seen, not the motives or even like sometimes we give because we want to feel appreciated. Sometimes we do something nice for somebody and we expect that they're going to thank us or they're going to, we expect to thank you. And if we don't get a thank you, we get frustrated. And, and I really don't think that's the way Jesus wants us to operate. There, there was a girl named Amanda who went on a missions trip to Mexico. And while she was there, um, you know, the kids she was with and herself, you know, what they were more concerned about on this missions trip was taking Instagram photos of them with the orphan kids in Mexico because they thought like, oh, that's gonna be so cool, pictures of us with orphans. And their, their motive was more just kind of like they wanted people to see what they were doing. 
And there was this sweet little boy who came up to this girl named Amanda, and he, he was very clingy with her the whole trip. He was constantly with her, and she thought it was super cute. Well, before they left, this little boy just starts crying because he like loved this girl Amanda so much, and she hadn't even really taken notice of him because she was so busy snapping photos of everything. And the little boy ran to his room and brought this Hot Wheels car, and it was this beat-up little Hot Wheels toy, and it, it was literally his only toy. It was all he had, and he was like, here for you. And when she, Amanda took that. She, she wrote that she realized like this is the heart we're supposed to have for people, giving everything we have without any hope of recognition. That, that kid given the Hot Wheels, the little orphan, he didn't say to his Mexican orphan friends like, hey, get out your phones, like make sure you get a picture of me giving this Hot Wheels car to the girl because I want people to see like how generous I am. And it just, it goes so often against um, what, our, what our culture is. Our culture is, you know, make sure you get everything on camera. Make sure that everything is captured. And we need the kind of love that's sacrificial. We need to understand, this is something I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to trip you guys up, okay? Because we live in a very social media world. There can be good to it. There can be a reason to post and a reason to share what you need to do, though, is before you post and share stuff, like remember that video, Christian, Christian Girl Instagram, where it's like literally every devotion, like I spent five minutes reading a verse and 30 minutes like trying to figure out the right filter for the picture of the Bible study devotions, and I, I arranged my Bible and my coffee and my pen like in just the right place, and my feet are sticking out, and like my legs, and I got to get my legs in there, you know, and it's like that's, it's, uh, that's like the, the whole purpose behind it. We need to check our heart and motives. So there can be, though, I would say a reason to post and share. You have to ask yourself, is this something that will bring glory to God? Is this something that'll raise awareness of how we can help others? When I've known some kids in our youth group who've gone on missions trips to places like Haiti, and when they come back and they'll post pictures on Facebook, to me, it has never been like a stumbling, like, oh, they're just trying to get attention. Like, I, I know one person in particular where most of the pictures of this kid are pictures someone else took of her and posted, um, and that's really how you'll find those pictures. And um, it's just a blessing to see, because when I see those pictures, what happens is, um, in Hebrews 10.24, we're told to stir up one another to love and good works. And I think sometimes when you do something good for God, when you come back for it and you post it and you let people see it and your heart behind it is not, look how spiritual I am, but it's more, look what God did. Look what God is doing. We can really encourage one another. So we'll talk more on that later. Um, the next point, though, is we need to realize that our heart needs to be based on self-sacrifice and not self-promotion. Um, does anyone remember the song Peter made up in our guys group on Wednesday night? Sacrificial love. What is the line? Sacrificial love changes the world, changes you, changes me. And then we stop writing the song, and it's literally just that over and over again. I'll have Peter come sing it on a Sunday sometime. But um, sacrificial love is really what Jesus models for us his entire life. But for us as a people, especially in 2015, I almost said 14, it's 2015, it's hardwired in us to post everything we do. And when good deeds are involved, putting them on Facebook and Instagram to kind of give ourselves an ego boost so people can see everything that we're doing, uh, it can be very common. But think about Jesus. Jesus was a feet washer. Like when Jesus' disciples showed up at this house, 
there was no servants at the house and people had very dirty feet back then. They're walking around, stepping in, you know, camel stuff and dirt and cow stuff. And like, so they had nastiness between their toes. Have you ever cleaned between someone else's toes? It's like the worst thing. Like, I don't know if you guys have brothers and sisters and your parents are like, clean their toes. Or I don't know if that happens. I hope it doesn't. Um, but toes are nasty. Like, even if you just like are, you know, in the bath and you're like trying to clean your own toes or whatever, like toes can be linty and gross, especially if you've been walking around bare feet or barefoot rather. So everyone stinks. And back then they didn't sit at tables. They actually like reclined on pillows. So everyone's just on the floor, like feet spread out and like eating food and like dipping their chips in the hummus and all this stuff. And it was just this Middle Eastern smelly food fest and everyone's feet are just out nasty. And there's no servants. Now, Jesus' disciples, they were there to serve their master, but none of them volunteered. They didn't want to clean Jesus' feet. Jesus' feet were nasty. Peter's feet were nasty. John's feet were nasty. But Jesus got up, and it wasn't like a passive-aggressive, like, well, if no one's going to do it, I guess I will. And he, like, gets up, like, and takes off his shirt and grabs a rag, and he's just like, Ugh. Like, that wasn't Jesus. He lovingly stands up and starts washing their feet. And the disciples are just like, what are you doing? And Jesus is like, I've got to do this. I love you. Like, I'm here to serve. He's like, Jesus is the ultimate servant example. But can you imagine if Jesus was like washing the feet and then he turned to Judas and he's like, Judas, get out your phone. He's like, make sure the shot of me and Peter and his foot are all framed perfectly. This has got to be great. Like, that's, that would be crazy if that was what he did. Uh, there was a guy who I was talking to recently, another youth pastor, and um, he... Um, uh, he knowed a guy, or knowed a guy, he, is that a word, knowed? Knew, he knew. What is wrong with me? I'm having like a brain aneurysm up here. Um, he knew a guy, and he, he knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who had a friend, no, I'm just kidding. Um, he knew a guy who was a pastor, and the pastor had a guy in his church who didn't have a car. So what the pastor did was he took an offering from the people and said, hey, we're going to buy this guy a car. It's going to be awesome. So then they got enough money to buy the guy a car. And what the pastor did was he hired a camera crew to like come and film everything. So then, now he's walking over to this poor guy who doesn't have a car. And he's like, hey, I just want to like show you something. And the guy's like, okay. So he walks in the room. He's like, you got a brand new car, like totally like Oprah style. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. But then the guy saw the cameras and he like got really weirded out. And he was like, what's going on? Like, and it was super awkward and super uncomfortable because he wasn't expecting that he was going to be filmed. And, and the pastor, when he saw that, he realized like, man, like maybe that's not the best way to do it. Like maybe not every single thing needs to be posted on the internet so it can be upvoted and liked a million times. And so we can get recognition for how spiritual we are. Like maybe we should have just given the guy the car and not told anybody because that's kind of what Jesus models in the word. Um, I feel personally in my own life like there can be this temptation where if I don't post it, it didn't happen. Like if it's not Instagram or Facebook official, then it's, it didn't really happen. Like think about it. Milestones, monuments, things in our life that happen. Like we, there's, this, there's this thing where it's like if I don't get this out to people on the internet, like back in the day we didn't have that. Like back in the day you had to like go and get your film developed and like mail it to people. Nowadays there's this instant like everyone can see what's going on. And so it, it makes us into these like natural just like wanting to tell everybody everything that's going on. And, and if you 
like you guys, you guys got engaged. You posted it. That's not wrong. That's awesome. You wanted people to know what was going on in your life. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is for every spiritual thing that happens in our life, for every like act of charity or goodness that we do, if there's a temptation like I get sometimes in my life, which is if people don't know about this, then it's not important. That's so false because God knows about it and God is so blessed. And sometimes we can take away from our blessing if we're so concerned about other people knowing about how good we are. The gospel writers, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, technically they posted about everything that Jesus did. Like they didn't have Instagram, but they had pens and paper. So they were following Jesus around. They're like posting like everything that Jesus did. Everything that they did with Jesus, they wrote down. But it was never to make themselves look good. It was always to say how great Jesus is. And that's the difference in our use of social media, even in our conversations as we talk to one another. The question is, is this story you're telling, are you the hero of the story? Are you the one who saved the day? Are you the one who rescued the situation? Are you the one who did the great thing? Or are you the person who got to stand back and watch God do an amazing work? That's the question. Is Jesus the hero of the story, or are you the hero of your story? And a lot of times in my stories, when I'm talking to other people, I can make myself the hero of the story, where if I told the full story, it was really Jesus, and I didn't have anything to do with it. The disciples wrote about their failures. There was a youth pastor who had a youth group that liked to do outreach stuff, and they called a homeless center. And the, this is a story written by you know, the lady who worked at the homeless center. And she writes, this youth group would call us all the time and say, hey, can we paint your walls? Can we come in and paint your walls? It'd be so great if we can come paint your walls. And what it was was the youth pastor wanted really bad to like have a one-day-only outreach at a homeless shelter where they would come in for one day only and like hang out, play some music, like paint the walls. And he was going to like take a video and like take a lot of pictures to kind of like show the rest of the church like on a Sunday, like, hey, we made this video to show you like how service-minded our kids are. Like, check us out. We're so cool. Well, what happened was he was calling because he had in mind what he wanted. The pastor was like, I want to make this video with my, with my kids. I want to come paint your walls. Well, the lady who worked at the homeless shelter was like, to be honest, uh, all of our walls are fine. What we actually need is people to commit to regularly donating diapers and regularly making meals and bringing them in. Maybe if you could organize something. And the pastor was like, oh, no, that's, that's not really our style. Like, we don't want to do that. Like, the, the youth pastor wasn't interested in a long-term commitment of helping. He just wanted a one-day service thing where they could come paint a wall and take a video of it. And that really, a lot of times, can be our, our heart and motive behind things is we don't really want to do anything hard. We don't want to commit to anything. We don't want to really, like, if, if it's easy and if it's a one-day event and it, some charity thing, if, if we can, you know, take a lot of cool videos and post it and every, it, it goes up and everyone goes like, man, they're so good-natured and good-minded. Look what they did. And... and we will we'll do a lot of times whatever gets the most publicity, whatever has the most attractive brand or whatever uh, has the best video. A lot of times that's what we're drawn to, to serve in and help when the idea of serving in something that takes a long time and doesn't get a lot of recognition. Some of you guys um, have served in children's ministry in, in the nursery. That doesn't get a lot of recognition. There's not a lot of extreme videos that get played in the sanctuary of you holding babies in the nursery. But I commend you. Like, 
that is awesome. Like the Lord honors that, that heart to be like, I'm going to commit to something, even though I'm not going to really get any instantaneous rewards for it. I'm just going to do it for the Lord. If we want to be like Jesus, we can't just love people when the cameras are on or when it makes us look holy. We need to be willing to sacrifice even when no one sees. If we want to be like Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, what needs to happen is you need to put down your pride. Now, does anyone know why I put this picture up? Does anyone, has anyone seen this movie, The New Annie? Raise your hand if you saw it. Anybody? Okay, good. <laughs> Don't watch it. <laughs> I went to see it. There have been a few times I've wanted to inflict harm to myself, but <laughs> I was ready to stab my eyes out with a fork. Um, this movie was really bad, uh, and it was because... They took something that was classic and awesome, and they tried to make it all like modern and hip. And like the main thing was they rewrote the songs. It was so bad. They rewrote all the classic Annie songs. If they would have just kept all the old songs in, it would have had a chance. But anyway, I, I wanted to jump somewhere, anywhere but that theater. Here's why this picture's up, though. This guy right here, who's, who knows the story of Annie? Bald guy, Daddy Warbucks, okay? So... Spoiler, he's actually secretly bald. This is a wig. There's like a scene where he like takes it off and they look and anyway, it's, they freak out. Anyway though, they call him, instead of Daddy Warbucks, which actually would have been a pretty cool name for him to do, um, they call him Stacks because like Stacks of Cash. Like that's his nickname. His nickname is Mr. Stacks. And he's a politician. He's a businessman and he's a politician and he's running for office and he's walking on the street and little orphan Annie's like, the sun will come out tomorrow. And she bumps into him, and what happens is he's about, she's about to get hit by a car. He grabs her, pulls her out of the way, totally just out of instinct, totally being a good guy. What happens is someone pulls out their phone, starts twittering it, tweeting, twittering. He, he starts sending it all over the internet. Well, what happens is people freak out, and they're like, oh my gosh, like this Mr. Stacks is such a good guy. So then Mr. Stax's like political team come around. They're like, hey man, like this is getting you more recognition. This is getting you more votes. You need to like adopt this orphan and people are gonna freak out and start voting for you. And so basically the first like like 75% of the movie is him faking to like this little girl while all the cameras are on. People are taking pictures. He's like posing with her. And then as soon as the cameras are off, they're both like rolling their eyes because they can't stand each other. And it's just, it's so true. It's our pride. A lot of times it'll make us do things that maybe our heart isn't even in because we want recognition. In verse two, it says, therefore, when you do a good deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. Jesus is saying, don't be like those guys who like literally every time they do something good, you know, like a Pharisee would come out and like blow a trumpet and be like, I helped an old lady cross the street. I'm great. Like that's what they were doing. They're blowing these trumpets and everyone like looks around like, oh, a trumpet. And then they're like, let me tell you about the good thing I did, which sounds pretty weird when you consider in that day. But if you look at today, these days, I mean, we do that a lot. I've done that before. I've been like, I really want people to know about this great thing that I did. The other day I was down by my house and I was walking around and I was wearing a yellow shirt and I was drinking tea that had a generous amount of honey in it. And you're like, why are you telling me this? Because I walked past a beehive and a swarm of bees. And I don't know if this is true, but like something in me was like, bees are attracted to the color yellow. And 
I have honey in here, and they like honey, right? Ugh! So I, I thought I was like an instant target for the bees, so I ran away. Um, I don't know if that's scientifically accurate. You, you, some of you guys might be like, no, you're, that's just an old wives' tale. You're crazy. But the point is, if you have pride constantly spewing out of you, if you're wearing your yellow pride shirt and drinking your pride tea with like honey pride, you're an instant target for the enemy. The enemy will come after you. He looks for those who are prideful because he's like, hey, they're just like me. I can use them. Um, there was one time I came to church and there was just a ton of smoke. I was here at two in the morning randomly and there was just smoke all throughout the church halls, and I was freaking out because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm here. Like, there's a fire. Every, like, I was getting ready to call, like, nine, is it 912? That's the fireman? 917? It just would make sense. 911 is the cops, 912 should be the firemen, and 913 should be pizza. Um, <laughs> be great. It's emergency, pizza emergency. Anyway, I was here, and there was like, I almost said there was fire. There's no fire. But there's smoke everywhere. And I was just looking around for the fire, trying to find it. And I open up the garage, and it's like Steve Hench and all the guys. And Steve's like, oh, hey there, bud. Hey, hey, we're just uh, making a barbecue. And I was like, oh, okay, this is weird. And I closed the door. Um, the, the men's ministry was like making a barbecue for the rest of the church. But I was freaking out because I saw the smoke, but there was no fire. A lot of times when we as Christians are prideful, there's smoke like there's just like this self-righteous spiritual smoke that goes up where we're just constantly appearing to be holy, but there's smoke, but there's actually no fire. There's no fire in our hearts. That kind of fire, a lot of you guys feel when you go up to camp and you feel that spiritual fire, like that pure, amazing feeling of just loving Jesus. And then we come home and a lot of times the smoke remains, but there can be no fire and it, and it comes from our heart. One great example of just you guys, and this, again, this isn't like you guys aren't going to lose your reward because I said this. Um, one of the things the Bible says is like if in um, the last verse that we'll look at, Jesus basically says, if you do things with the right heart, if you do them for the Lord in secret, God honors you publicly many times. And so that's kind of what's happening with you guys. You're, you guys are a great youth group. You have a great heart. When we came home from camp, I was so blessed when we stopped in and out and we ran into those homeless people. I was a homeless man and a homeless woman. Um, the man's name was Arthur. I can't remember the woman's name. Um, but you guys just loved on them and talked to them and spent time with them. And one of you guys gave your Bible to Arthur and, and you played cards with them. And um, it was, it was so, such a blessing to see you guys doing that. And no one was like, oh, we got to take pictures with the homeless people to show how holy we are. Like I saw in that moment just a, a pure desire to serve God and other people. And I was so blessed by you guys. Chase after that. Verse 3 says, when you do a charitable deed, do not left your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is a tough teaching because it's like, how can I, like, if my right hand is doing something, do I just always, like, put my left hand behind my back so it doesn't know? That's not what Jesus is trying to say. It's a tough teaching. We have to ask, what does it mean? This is a quote by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That's an awesome name. Dietrich says, from whom are we to hide the visibility of our discipleship? Certainly not from other men, for we are told to let them see our light. That's what the Bible says. Let your light so shine before men. So Jesus isn't saying, hide all your good deeds. We are to hide it from ourselves. 
Our task is simply to keep on following, looking only to our leader who, go, who goes on before, taking no notice of what we're doing. It's a very interesting concept to have no pride in our own goodness. Think about it. We love, if you're like me, I love thinking about my own goodness. I don't like thinking about my badness. I don't like thinking about my sins. That is what the Bible tells me to do, to consider my sins and mourn over my sins and think about my sins. But often what I am prone to do is to think about all the good things I've done or when people have complimented me. It's like, that's what I'll catch on to. And I'm like, oh, that felt so good when someone complimented me. And then I'll chase that feeling. It's like, I've got to do more things to make people compliment me. I used to be a a YouTube channel owner and I had a big channel with, I think we got up to 2 million views at one point. Me and John Barger were doing something. I was living for the comments. It was pathetic. I would make a video and I would just constantly be like, I've got to know what people think about my videos that I'm spending all this time on. And I would just constantly be like looking for the comments to see what people thought and our fans. And and that was really like what gave me fulfillment, but it was hollow and empty. If our lives aren't Christ-like and following his example of self-sacrifice, when we do one big self-sacrificing thing, Like a missions trip, the temptation to make a big deal of ourselves is huge. Let me like illustrate that. Like, um, my wife and I did this thing called Whole Thirty, which is where you will not eat bad foods, but you'll only eat like vegetables and like really healthy meats and like everything's natural. We did that for thirty days. I could not shut up about it. I was just constantly talking to people about it. It was like, oh, you've got to hear about this whole 30. Like, man, I lost 20 pounds. Like, don't I look good? Oh my gosh. And I was freaking out about it. I was always talking about it. But if I was somebody who just constantly ate healthy all the time, I wouldn't feel the need to tell people about it because it would be a part of my lifestyle. What Jesus is looking for in your life is for you to have a life of self-sacrifice so that way when you do something big, there's not this temptation to go, oh man, like that was so big, people have to know about it. I have to tell people about how good I am. If you just have a life of self-sacrifice, you're gonna be naturally self-sacrificing and there's not gonna be a need to tell people about it or a need to like feel like, oh, I need to get my affirmation from people. Again, we can encourage one another. If you telling somebody about something that God did and you were a part of brings them closer to God and glorifies God and you can do it without making yourself the hero of the story, that is awesome. But we need to fight that urge to like, we just like that, like people need to know, they need to know how good I am. That, that's, it's such a dangerous urge. We need to remember that we're the hammer, but not the carpenter. Wouldn't it be weird if a hammer was prideful? You know, if, if, if you walked into a workshop and there was like this beautiful dollhouse and the hammer jumped up and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I built that. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty great. I'm a great hammer. You'd be like, what? This is ridiculous. A hammer's purpose is to serve and bring glory to the carpenter. You look at the dollhouse and you say, that's an amazing thing that this carpenter built. You're looking at the carpenter like, man, you really know how to use a hammer. It would be weird if the hammer wanted to take credit for what the carpenter did. The hammer, if we're following this to like its extremes, that a hammer can be like an animate object and take joy in its purpose. If it's like some VeggieTales hammer that's like jumping around, like, did you guys ever get weirded out by how VeggieTales people could like move stuff without arms? Like, I just, like, do they have telekinesis? Like, it's, it always freaked me out. Anyway, a hammer can take joy in its purpose. You're the hammer. I'm the hammer. He's the carpenter. He's the builder. 
we should take joy that we get to serve him, but not take credit for his work, and really all things are his work. It's been said by Andrew Bonar that the best part of all Christian work is that part which only God sees. It reminds me of the story of the college student who would clean up after the parties. He was a Christian guy. He didn't party with the fr- his friends. They would stay up all night getting drunk. And literally, like, when he came into the dorm, like, they'd all be asleep. And it would just be broken glass and potato chips and just, just junk all over the floor. And this guy for years would clean up after his friends and he would do it while they're all asleep, while they're all knocked out and hung over. He would go and clean up for them and he would never ask for anything in return and he went to great deals to make sure that they didn't see him and it was only one day when he finally got caught cleaning. His friend was like, bro, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just, just cleaning. Like, not a big deal. He's like, why would you do that? And he's like, no, I just, I'm a Christian and Jesus tells us to serve and I, it's, it's really my pleasure. I'd love to do it. And that's awesome, that heart to like, I'm going to do something, not because other people are going to see me. I'm going to do things for God. The Bible says we are his workmanship, created for good works he set before us. God has created us to do good works. He has created us to love and bless other people, to do things for others. And it's, it's amazing that we have that opportunity. I remember I thought, excuse me, that's not supposed to be up. Let me go back. I remember I thought I was so cool when I made my first big job. I was 15 years old doing graphic design, and I had taught myself. And I remember my first big job. I've never had a job that paid this big since. So my best paying job was when I was 15. I had a job that paid like $5,000 for like not that much work. And I was just like, yeah, I'm good at this. Like I've got talent, like I'm gifted. And what I didn't realize was that the only reason I got that job wasn't because I was gifted. It was because God knew I needed the money and he provided that job. Because what happened was after I got that job, I got a big head and I thought, oh man, people like, they'll like my work. So I started going around to businesses like with my portfolio and I was like, hey, check out my work. Like, what do you think? And people were like, "Mm, no, sorry, kid. Like we're going to go with somebody else. And I realized like, it's not me. Like everything I have, I realized that in all my life, this job, my wife, I don't deserve a wife as amazingly beautiful and kind and sweet as Brooklyn. I don't deserve a, a job where I get to hang out with high school students and tell them about Jesus. Like, I, I should be flipping burgers in a McDonald's. Not that that's bad if you're doing that, but I'm just saying, like, I, I shouldn't be here. I, sh- I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I, I shouldn't have the blessings God has blessed me with. Our house that we just moved into, that we're so blessed, we get to give to you guys every Wednesday and spend time with you there. I don't deserve that. Like, I didn't ask for that. I didn't work hard for that to earn that. Like, God blesses us at times, and he gives us things that we don't deserve. And if we can realize that he's the one who's doing the work, it has nothing to do with us and our efforts. It's all him. So the question is, what do you do when you're a part of a great work of God? When God does something amazing, do you become prideful? self-satisfied, self-righteous? Do you announce it as it's something that you did or do you announce it as something that God did? Is it your story or are you a part of his story? The root is always the heart when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount and 
you have to ask yourself, is, is if you're a part of a great work of God and you want to tell people, is it something that you're humbled and stoked you were a part of that God did? Or is it something you feel proud of because you feel like you did it? We can do nothing of any lasting value without God. It's all because of him and it's all for him. And that brings us to our very last point, which is play to an audience of one. Verse four says, your charitable deeds may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. A guy by the name of Dallas Willard says, when we do good deeds to be seen by human beings, that is because we are looking for something that comes from human beings. We're looking for recognition. We're looking for affirmation. We're looking for that feel-good moment when someone passes on the back and says, you did a good job. But the frustration is you won't ever be able to fulfill yourself the way you want to be fulfilled. If you're constantly striving for that fulfillment from other people, you're never going to reach it. If you think that the whole world is a stage, as Shakespeare said, the question is, who are you performing for? Is it your parents? Are you just trying so hard to live up to their standards and their expectations of you to get those grades or to succeed in sports? Like, are you living, are you trying so hard to make them happy by being their perfect little kid? And every time you mess up, you just feel like the biggest failure. Is it teachers? Are you trying so hard to please some certain teachers that you just, you love so much and you respect so much, or maybe they're really hard on you and and so it makes you wanna try, but then you keep failing? Is it your coaches? Are you trying so hard to just be the best athlete you can and every time you fail, it's just like you're falling on your face. And is even as it your peers, are you doing things for the people around you, your friends, where you're trying to live up to their standards of what a good friend is or what a good Christian is or, or just whatever it is, like standards to be cool. Are you trying so hard to live up to those things? Because if you are, you're never going to reach that fulfillment. You need to remember to play to an audience of one. If you can look at the big theater of life, but you can realize that there's only one chair with one person in it who matters, and it's just him that you're living for, it changes everything. Because that theater of people isn't gonna go away. They're always going to be around you. But if you can remember that to live for God and to please him is the most amazing thing, it really does change everything. I remember um, a story that Brooklyn shared with me when she got back, when we were in Bible college, we all went on missions trips. And where was it you went to? I can't remember the country. Portugal. So Brooklyn went to Portugal. I went on a missions trip to the Czech Republic, me and my team. It was awesome. We did street witnessing. We did children's ministry. We did skits on the street, like all the stuff that missions trips are supposed to be. Well, Brooklyn came back, and at this point, we weren't dating. We were best friends, and so we told each other everything, and so uh, we were in Bible college, and we took a walk one night around the walled city of York. It was super nice, and I just was asking her, like, because I, I, I remember, remember when I saw you, and I hadn't seen you? Like, that was the first time we'd been away from each other since we met, and I wanted to give her a hug so bad. Um, <laughs> she's so cute, but anyway, we were, we were walking around the city of York, and I just remember I was talking to her and I was telling her all the cool things that happened in my trip and she was so discouraged. And I was like, why are you discouraged? And she was like, our trip went terrible. It was the worst. Like when we showed up, we thought we had all these dramas and skits prepared. We had all these things we wanted to do. And when we showed up, we didn't even get to talk to anybody who was Portuguese. Like all we did was we just stayed in the church 
like the pastor had us wash dishes and like vacuum floors. We never went out into the city and did anything. And then all we did was we just listened to the pastor tell us stories. Like we came all the way from England to Portugal and this pastor just had us sit around and like we just were like talking. He was just telling us about his life and like we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything important. We didn't do anything valuable. We didn't accomplish anything. And I just remember we were, we were talking and I was trying to encourage her because I was like, you know what? I know how you feel. Like I've been in those places before where you just, you feel like, man, I invested in this thing and it was for nothing because we didn't do anything important. But it's all for him. Like it's all for Jesus. And he has everything planned out. And sometimes the things that seem the most pointless when we do them in obedience, which she did, Brooklyn and her friends, they did. They washed dishes. They vacuumed floors. They listened to the pastor tell the stories. God was honored by that. God was honored by them just doing what God has called them to do because it wasn't about going out in the streets and getting a bunch of people saved. It was just about what am I doing for the one, for the one person in the audience? Am I serving him? Am I doing what I'm called to do? And if you can do that, God's gonna bless you. It doesn't matter how important what you do seems in the world's eyes. God's gonna give you guys things that seem important and he's gonna give you guys things that seem tiny and unimportant. Like for instance, maybe some of you guys have rooms today that need to be cleaned. Do it for the Lord. Like bless him. Who cares if your mom even notices? That's like the biggest thing is if you clean it and your mom's been like on you to clean it for like forever and ever and ever and then you clean it and she doesn't even notice and then it gets dirty again and then she's like, why haven't you cleaned your room? And you're like, I just did. Ah. Like it, it's so frustrating. But we're doing it not to please people. We're doing it for the Lord. And it's the difference between when you're at a prayer meeting, you know, and I've done this before. How many, I want to show of hands, I don't know, maybe just blink at me really hard if, like, this is you. But how many of you guys have ever been at a prayer meeting and uh, um, someone else is praying and it's going to be your turn to pray and instead of listening to them pray, you're thinking about what you're going to pray? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So, and it's because, like, I don't want to sound stupid when it gets to my turn. Like, I don't want to seem like a dork. Like, I want to have something really spiritual and important to say when really we're just all talking to God. Like, when I'm hanging out with you guys and I'm, I, it gets to, like, my turn to talk to one of you guys, like, I'm not like, okay, like, I got to think about what I say before I say it. Like, I'm just happy to hang out with you. That's what God is looking from you. And tomorrow or next week, we're going to talk more about that, what it means to pray and have a prayer relationship with God. I was talking with uh, Sarah at a home or uh, at Wednesday night church. We were hanging out and we were just talking about worship and how sometimes we can just get wrapped up in, like, just freaking out about worship. And I was in that same place where basically... I would be trying to worship God and the worship song would be playing, but I would feel like I wasn't really worshiping unless every single word of the song I was thinking like really deeply and intently about, like trying to ascribe some sort of personal meaning, like, like, Lord, I lift your name on high. Okay, yes, Lord. Yes, I am lifting your name on high. Yes, I'm doing that right now, Lord. Yes, I am. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever done that, like where you're trying to worship and you're trying to like make it really meaningful and like you're praying throughout the worship song and then you, you lose track of it and then you feel like, oh, well, my worship doesn't count. And the Lord gave me a really simple illustration because remember, it all is for him. Think of this. If you, like at, at camp, at camp, when it's someone's birthday and we all have to sing happy birthday, there's going to be three different people in that crowd. There's going to be the people who are apathetic, the people who are just like, oh, I guess we're singing happy birthday now. I don't even know that person. Okay, happy birthday to you. And they're just singing because everyone else is singing. That can be us in worship. 
We can be like, oh, it's time to sing to Jesus? Okay, uh, oh, great, the words are on the screen. All right, I'm just going to sing this. Awesome, I don't even know. Like, that can be us. But there are, in every happy birthday, there's always, and I feel, happy birthday is honestly the, the worst song. Does anyone else, like, when you're, some people are singing happy birthday to you, you're just like, I want this to be over. This is like the longest, most tedious song ever. Like, is that just me? I don't I hate it when people sing happy birthday to me. It's, when it's my birthday, come up with something else to sing. But there is always going to be people who genuinely are singing to that person. Like, family members and friends who love that person, they're happy that it's their birthday. So they're singing happy birthday and they're meaning it. They're not thinking about every word like, happy birthday, okay, I hope, yes, I hope their day is happy. It is their birthday, I'm thinking about that. To them, yes, to you. Like they're, they're not like analyzing every single word and trying to ascribe some meaning to it. They're just singing happy birthday and they're worshiping from their heart. Not worshiping, that sounds weird. Don't worship people when it's their birthday. Don't like bow down. But in the illustration, when you're in worship, if your heart is in it, if you're just like, if you're singing the words and you're just like, yes, I mean these. Yes, Jesus, I'm singing this for you. It's just as simple as that. Don't, like, your heart is for the Lord in that moment. And it's simple. The third type of person, it doesn't really happen a lot in happy birthday, but it's the diva. You know what I mean? Like, like the person who's like trying to like sing in a higher weird note than everyone's like, happy birthday to you. Like, just like trying to be really weird and loud. And you're like, that was really bad. I know. Um, I know it was. <laughs> uh, that's why I don't do that. I don't ever try to harmonize on happy birthday. But it would be weird if there was somebody who was always trying to outdo everyone else in happy birthday. And if we're always trying to outdo one another in our worship and our service to the Lord, trying to look more holy than other people, our heart is not in the right place. We need to do things for an audience of one. Just three really quick closing thoughts. Number one, just as a happy child cannot miss hug, a sincere heart cannot miss pray. A good quote by Max Lucado. It's not often that a little kid hugs for ulterior motives. A little kid just loves people. Like when uh, Emma's little sister, Jessalyn, runs up to me and gives me a big hug, I know it's not because she like, wants money from me or like food or anything. Like, like when she gives me a hug, it's just because she loves me. And, and I'm so stoked because it took a long time for us to get there because when she was little, she was mean and she gave me dirty looks all the time. Uh, but now she has grown up to be a sweet little kid. Um, when our heart is sincere, we can't mispray. Just talk to God. The second thought, is let a man or woman set his or her heart only on doing the will of God and he is instantly free. A great quote by A.W. Tozer. If you're here today and you are just like constantly weighed down by the burden of trying to please people, the instant you set your heart on doing the will of God and pleasing God, that's when you're free. Because all you have to do is play to an audience of one. You don't have to worry about pleasing people. You just have to worry about pleasing God. And if you, some, you might be like, that's the hardest thing you've said all this whole time, Aaron, because I can't please God, because I'm a sinner, because I've messed up too much, because I've made mistakes, because I'm not like them or them or them. I'm not holy. I'm not good. I can't do good things. Like, I worship, and I don't feel it, and I'm not emotional. I don't get the emotional, spiritual high. Like, I don't feel like I'm a good Christian. And I would love to leave you with some encouraging words from God to you. In Isaiah 43, 4, God says, you are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of not being able to please God. You already have his approval because he loves you. 
Like, no sin. It's like, if I sin, my parents aren't going to stop loving me. I will still be their kid. If you've given your heart to Jesus, you're a child of God. You have his approval. He's not sitting up with a checklist, checking off what you've done right or wrong. He, he just loves you. And when you sin, he wants to heal you and help you. And when you do things for him, he is so blessed. So remember that. We do things for him, not for others. We do things to encourage others. But our focus is honoring and glorifying the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much, God. And Lord, as we just spend a little bit of time singing just a song or two in worship, Lord, we wanna give to you our hearts. We wanna raise our hands, and Lord, we wanna lift up our voices, not so people can see us and think we're holy, but because we know that we are here to love and serve you. God, you are the carpenter, and we're just the hammers. And we're so thankful that you use us. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Lord, I'm not worthy to be used by you, but I thank you that you would use someone as foolish as me. And Lord, I thank you that you would use these students. And I see them being used all the time in their homes, in their friends, in, in their families, in their schools. You're using them in mighty ways, God. I pray that this message would not discourage anyone from being used by you, but that they would be used by you all the more with a newfound focus, not to get approval from pastors or friends or parents or coaches, not to fulfill some need to be noticed, but that everything we do would be for you and your glory only. And I pray that with that mission burning in our hearts to give glory to you, that we would go out this week and we would be used in a mighty way for you. And when we get together and we share the things that you've done, I pray all the glory would go to you and you alone. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.